0: The scripture reading this morning is Matthew, chapter 25, verses 14 through 26. Again, it will be like a man going on a journey who called his servants and entrusted his wealth to them. To one, he gave five bags of gold, to another, two bags, and to another, one bag, each according to his ability. Then he went off on his journey. His master replied, well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful with a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Come and share your master's happiness. Then the man who had received one bag of gold came. Master, he said, I knew that you are a hard man, harvesting where you have not sown and gathering where you have not scattered seed. So I was afraid, and I went out and hid your gold in the ground. See, here is what belongs to you. His master replied, you wicked, lazy servant. So you knew that I harvest where I haven't sown and gather where I haven't scattered seed? The word of the Lord.
1: This is a scary text. (laughs) I hear that again, and I heard it already this morning once, and I thought, man, I've been looking at it all week, and it's still a little frightening to me. I wonder about that one talent servant. I wonder what happened to him, because he went off and dug that hole and buried his talent there. I wonder what caused him to miss out on the the joy of his master. He himself said that he was afraid that, he said, I went and I hid your talent in the ground. I was full of fear. Don't you wonder about all that? What's really going on there for him? Since the, uh, the Utes had a bye weekend, And since I thought many of the women would be, I like that, up the canyon, kind of like up a creek, (laughs) since they were up at Snowbird, (laughs) um, I thought, you know, maybe some of you guys are kind of pining after some football news uh, with the Utes, you know. So here goes, you know, here's a little football story for you. It comes from the playing field of days gone by. playing way before my Pop Warner days, (laughs) playing flag football as a 10-year-old. I loved playing a receiver, catching passes, dodging defenders, making my way down the field. I just thought, that's the best. My hero way back then was Raymond Berry. He played for the Baltimore Colts. Some of you didn't even know they were ever in Baltimore. But they were, and he played for them and caught passes from Johnny Unitas, some say the best quarterback there ever was. He was my hero. I wanted to be just like Raymond Berry. One game, my coach called a play that we have been working on in practice, and the play called for me after the completion of one play to trot over to the sideline and to pretend I was talking to him without actually leaving the field. All the other, the other team and the other coaches would think that I had gone off the field, but truth, I was standing just inside the sideline and on the right side of the line of scrimmage. I was still in play, but they didn't know that, the other team. So it worked to perfection. When the ball was snapped, I sprinted down the sideline, and I was wide open. I mean, not a soul around me. It's the old sleeper play. Okay? It works once and probably not ever again. Maybe even just once a season. Jeff Davis, our quarterback, he heaved the ball. And this is going to be easy. No problem. Except it wasn't like one of those Johnny U perfect spirals. This was more of a, an end-over-end affair. <laughs> and it was short, too. I had to stop and sort of wait for it. And the defense, I could see out of the corner of my eye, they saw what was going on, and the safety was sprinting to catch up to the play. Still, though, I thought it's going to be a simple catch. Sure, touchdown. I was wide open plenty of time. The ball was toppling wildly towards me. I put up my hands, and it didn't naturally slip in like a spiral pass would have, but it hit my hands and kind of bounced and hit my chest, hit my hands again, then my leg, and then the ground. Incomplete pass. I dropped it. Couldn't believe it. Yet, not a fall goes by. And you can see how old I am. Not a fall goes by that I still don't think about dropping that pass. Who knows what would have been had I not lost that moment? Probably for sure a long career in the NFL. (laughs) So we have been thinking about some of our fears lately those fears that we would love to live beyond. So this one, this one comes at us about what is it that we're missing, dropping in our lives? It's this fear about not living up to our potential, perhaps, not finding our place or making a difference in the life that we've been given. It is that fear that we will drop the ball. I read a quote this week that simply said, If you think something is missing from your life, it is probably you. (laughs) That does seem a bit tragic. I do wonder about all that, perhaps what I'm still missing. John Ortberg, he opens up, I think his best book, The Life You've Always Wanted. He opens up by talking about fatherhood. And I thought, well, all you dads sitting here today, I thought I'd maybe read a little bit of that section to you of who he hoped he would be as a father. Here's a little bit of what he said. He said, When I look in on my children as they sleep at night, I think of the kind of father I want to be. I want to create moments of magic. I want them to remember laughing until tears flow. I want to read to them and make books come alive so they love to read. I want to have slow, sweet talks with them so So as they're getting ready to close their eyes, I want them to sing. I want to sing to them awake in the morning. I want to hold them and pray for them in a way that makes them feel cherished. I look in on them as they sleep at night, and I remember how the day really went. I remember how they were trapped in a fight over checkers. And I walked out of the room because I didn't want to spend the energy to teach them how to resolve conflict. I remember how my daughter spilled cherry punch at dinner and I yelled at her about being careful as if she'd revealed some deep character flaw. I yelled at her even though I spill things all the time and no one yells at me. I yelled at her simply because I'm big and she's little and I can get away with it. And then I saw that look of hurt and confusion in her eyes and I knew there was a tiny wound in her heart that I had put there and I wish I could have taken those 60 seconds back. I remember how at night I didn't have slow, sweet talks, but merely rushed the children to bed so I could have more time to myself. I'm disappointed in who I am. Then he goes on to say this, and it's not just my life as a father. I am disappointed also for my life as a husband, a friend, and human being in general. I think of the day I was born when I I carried the hope of promise like every child. I think of what might have been, the, the way I might have developed, thoughts I might have had, joy I might have created. I'm disappointed that I still love God so little and sin so much. And on it goes. This fear that we Potentially might be missing our own lives. I think I could have written that about being a dad. Kierkegaard once had this sense in a a little prayer that he wrote. He said, and now, Lord, with your help I shall become myself. And I wonder, am I becoming myself? Will I? That seems to be the question of this parable that comes very near the end of Matthew's Gospel, the parable of the bags of gold or the parable of the talents. Jesus told the story really in the middle of his own high-risk adventure as he prepared to go to the cross. Earlier, he he had made this decision to leave the safety of rural Galilee where he was among his own people, where uh, crowds of people welcomed him wherever he, he went, and they listened intently to all that he had to say. And he decides to leave all that in Galilee and go to Jerusalem, this capital city where the religious authorities would not really listen to him, but would regard him as a threat to the status quo to their own power. And the Romans, this provincial governor who himself was in the city during Passover, these Romans were there too, and they surely regarded him as a disturber of the peace. Jerusalem was crawling with these Roman soldiers. It was not a good time to be there. His friends had tried to dissuade him to talk him out of going to Jerusalem. And now that they were there, the worst seemed to be happening. He had stirred up a a crowd of, of poor people who had a kind of noisy street demonstration when he arrived there. And to make matters infinitely worse, he had gone to the temple and he caused a disturbance there by overturning tables and shooing people away in a very almost violent way. Religious authorities were already talking to the Roman officials about him and finding some way they could get him removed. And it's at that moment that Jesus then tells a story about a, a man, a man, a wealthy man, who is about to go on a long journey, and while he's away, before he departs, he, he, he distributes his property to three servants. It's a parable. Oh, it's one of those kinds of stories. It's it's really meant to make a point of some kind. We know parables, right? Well, this one has to do with a, a great deal of money. The first servant, we read, he gets a lot of the money, and he takes it to the market to a wealth management firm and invests in, in, in kind of high-risk ventures, and it does really well. Second servant doesn't get quite as much, but he gets a lot still, and does the very same thing, and he too does well, and they hear some great news. Well done, my thou good and faithful servant. You've been faithful with, uh, with some. I'm going to give you more. And then he promises that they're going to receive more responsibility going forward. But the third servant, oh, there he is, yeah. He took a different approach. He takes that one talent and hit it in the ground, put it there for safekeeping. And yeah, the story, it it seems to have all the earmarks of a high school reunion gone bad, doesn't it? When you show back up, and there everybody is and telling their stories, pride and success. And we realize the one is, well, you dropped the ball. Some have said that in ancient times, the third servant was actually, or should be, considered the hero of the story. Because in that Mediterranean culture, it was morally dishonorable to seek more, to be greedy in such a way. So didn't he do actually right by hiding it in the ground? But we hear the master's praise for the two who risked and invested and then were praised. Well done. Well done. Come, enter the joy of your master. And so we realize that the parable, the story, it it just turns on this concept of of something that was missed, this missed opportunity, the, the missed investment, the missed risk. We really discover, I think, you know, parables are supposed to have like one point. But there's so much here, isn't there? So I want to highlight just four real quick things. One seems to be that the parable tells us that we, we have all we need. One talent, two talents, five talents. We have all we need. Did you know a talent in, in the Greek New Testament times was a very large sum of money. A whole life's earning. There are a lot of the stories Jesus told surrounded denarii, like a day's wage for a common laborer. But this one's about like a whole life's earning. A talent, a talent of gold, was thought to be about 75 pounds, or between 30 and 40 kilogram, kilograms. Last year, I, I checked or I read it, the, the price per kilogram was... right? One talent today would be $1.4 million. This is a a lot of money. One talent. So we might be tempted to feel sorry for this one talent guy, but the clear message that Jesus tells is that he had more than enough to do something profitable, something good, something useful with what he had been given. Don't we all got something right we got this thing called life that we've been given it's an amazing gift made in the image of God we've all got it but maybe the second thing is we we are different we have different gifts Paul would go on to write all about that different gifts and you know the same spirit that that gives them all but we're We're different. Different amounts are are given. Even the the parable says that each was given according to his ability, but all are expected to take what's given and to use them. So not really equality in gifts, but equality in effort is what is expected here. Then third, we're to work not really for ourselves. It's The work is for our master. The talents were entrusted to them to produce something good for their Lord, not for themselves. Who do we really work for? And the last thing I would say in kind of this line of thought is that we'll all be held accountable. That this servant didn't necessarily want waste the money that was given to him. In fact, burying it in the ground was a common practice in those days. They didn't have banks like we do today, but to bury it was what people often did. But it didn't grow. And he seemed to waste the opportunity. And for that, he was held accountable. I think the best line that I read this week about this story comes from Dale Bruner in his commentary on Matthew. He says that safe as this conduct may be, there's a lack of adventure in it, an unwillingness to take risks, a preoccupation with one's own security, which Jesus clearly dislikes. (laughs) This piety, he said, is too unworldly, too withdrawn, too removed from the secular to please the earthly Jesus, who sends his disciples into the world to disciple it, who puts salt into the meat to season it or brings light into the room to give light to all who are in it. I like that kind of thought, that Jesus wants us to be more earthly, invest our lives. They come back, and the man says, here it is, All of it—it's—it's safe and sound. (laughs) And for his efforts, he's treated as harshly as anyone is treated throughout the Bible. His master doesn't compliment him for his prudence or reward him in any way, but actually calls him lazy or wicked, and takes the money away and gives it to the other two. Calls him worthless kicks him out of the house, off the property. There's no more use for him. Hard. That kind of summation, that kind of judgment. And I, I'm troubled with the, the parable here, the story, because aren't we supposed to think of the master as God? Is that really God's perspective? Very hard, harsh I think the point, however, is that he didn't put himself into it. That he had held himself back. That's the, the first and main only point that we are to live with here. That this money was to be a high-risk adventure, to put it all in. It's about our living. It's about our investing. It's about how we're fulfilling the call of faith in our own lives. And it's about Jesus himself, the storyteller. What he's done in this episode, what he's about to do in going to the cross, what's about to happen to him. He wanted his disciples to see that this is what it looks like to put yourself all the way in. It's about being a follower of Jesus what it might mean to be faithful. The greatest risk of all, it turns out, is to not risk anything. It's to care, not care so deeply or profoundly about anything. (laughs) To not give our hearts away. The greatest risk of all, it turns out, is to play it safe, to live cautiously and prudently, I don't know if you've ever read or heard much of uh, Wayne Dyer. He's an author who's does some kind of almost Christian self-help kind of material books. And I think he's become known for really one line that that sticks with people, and it's kind of stuck with me. And he based it on the story of uh, of Tolstoy's story about Ivan Ilyich, the death of of Ivan Ilyich. Do you know that story? It's uh, You know, Ivan's this high court judge in 19th century Russia. And he just despised his work. And he gets to the very end of his life, though, and he's, he's facing kind of the question of his life. And he asks, what if my whole life has been wrong? And then this question, what if I die with the music still in me? Ever heard that question? Well, that story moved Wayne Dyer to look at his own life and to write about that and to make sure that he was living out the music in him, to think about his purpose, his intent, to be guided by his higher self and not by his ego self, but to be giving himself away. What if I die with the music still in me? how important is this personally to us in in terms of how we live our lives? This warning from from Jesus that the outcome of playing it safe not risking, not investing it's almost akin to death like being banished (laughs) to the outer darkness. very harsh and scary. Madeline Lingle, uh, she was recalling what T.S. Eliot had written in that his famous poem, uh, Alfred Prufrock, where he asks this question, do I I dare disturb the universe? Do I dare disturb the universe? And this is what she said in reflection to that, that Jesus, she calls Jesus a universe disturber, and observes that it got him crucified, and that to follow in his way is to be a universe disturber, to, to ask, dare I be one? a universe disturber? Playing it safe, she said, leads to personal diminishment and death. For most of us, I suppose, our faith in Christ is something of a a safety net. We think of it more along those lines of our refuge and our strength as we should. It's our comfort. It's our hope. it's It's our good place that we go. But It seems like Jesus is wanting to to move us beyond that. That our personal theology might be something more. And I wonder about those first disciples who heard this story about the talents. Here they are at the end of Jesus' life, he's about to go to the cross about to give up his precious 33-year-old life. On the cusp of this ministry, people are swarming to him. Not now, Lord. Let's not go to Jerusalem now. But he's going. He's got this passionate love for God, a desire to enact, to bring forth the kingdom of God right here on earth put his life on the line to risk it all coming to Jerusalem. He's talking to the twelve of them. They're sitting there wishing nothing more than they could just go back to Galilee. Wishing everything in them that he wasn't going to risk so much. It's going well. Let's just keep on this track. Secretly, I suppose, they're, they're wishing they could just go back to the nice rolling hills of Galilee, and back to their boats and their nets and their families, and can't we just keep it, the, th- the 12 of us, the 13 of us, can't we keep this together and just let it go on? But I think it's this story, at least part of it, or that was beginning to sink in for them and starting to turn them around. This little story that got them thinking that the way to be faithful to him and and to his vision of a kingdom of God was was not to secure themselves together in a little enclave of Christianity over here, but to invest themselves out into this wide world, to speak up, to go public, to, to put it all on the line. I suspect that it was this story that helped them to, to see that in him, in Jesus, investing it all in his kingdom, that there was in that they were coming alive. They were finding themselves. They were becoming the people of God together and finding purpose and meaning. And so it is. We are invited in to be his disciples, to live fully, to risk, to invest, to expand the horizons of our responsibilities of boldness and courage. You know, I've already preached this sermon once today, <laughs> and as I looked at the first service people, and now as I look at you, you are I see that going on in the life of this church. This investment into the the Gospel of good news. Sheila mentioned we are in transition, and I thought, "Oh man, we've got to use this vision, 2020 whole thing going., yeah, how often are we going to get that's going to come around. I mean, I've been waiting 40 years to use 2020. Here we go. It's here. Yeah. And I do see this church is kind of just just ready, just ready. How cool to be a church invested, to be a people invested in the kingdom of God. Still wish I had caught that ball. (laughs) Still think about it. Who knows, really? Might have like been a D1 scholarship in that somewhere. I don't know. But the neat thing is that we get invited all the time to invest and reinvest and risk and risk again and to to come back around and, and catch the ball one more time. Give it a shot, right? To live out that music in us, to find our place, our fit, to adventure, to adventure into this life that Jesus gives us. What a great community of faith to do that with. All praise to him who entrusts us with all of that with such things as the gospel of Jesus Christ. Amen? Let's pray together. Alert us, O God, with your truth. Open our hearts and our minds to your word. Lord, you indeed have given us this precious gift of our very lives. There's no one here today that has too little to offer you. So teach us each to live our lives fully and to invest our lives in the work of love, in the work of justice, with humility, to enter into the work of your kingdom. We pray through Jesus, our Lord. Amen.
0: Let's stand and sing together.